Well, uh, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Movies You Should See. Sorry, welcome to Chinstroke vs. Joe. a podcast where we actually talk about movies, no less. And we have a guest with us this episode, who we will get to in a moment, although I think that everybody probably knows who this is going to be. Um, the Rock. <laughs> is it The Rock? I'm not scared Sorry. Um, I could just smell what he was cooking. And that was Paul. I am Mike. And that was really poor attempt at humour. Sorry. And this <laughs> evening, we are going to be talking about a classic 1985 action movie called Commando, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're playing fast and loose with the word classic there. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, I, I don't know. know. Well, we, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And um, it seems only fitting that um, being such a quintessentially 80s movie, we have a guest with us who was actually born in this decade. <laughs> bastard. And... Um, Without further ado, we have with us from Bristol, Mr. Ian Loring from Cinerama. Good to have you here, man. How are you? Evening, guys. Yep, no, quite all right, thank you. Splendid, splendid. So, um, Paul, you're just on the tobacco. I am on the carling. Are you no, on I'm the thing tonight? I'm not a split. <laughs> we'll just leave that in, shall we? And uh, have you got any sort of beverage of choice this evening, Ian? Uh, I've got one and a half bottles of Budweiser at my disposal. Right, okay, well, we'll try and pace ourselves then. We'll try and pace ourselves. Okay, well, I mean, how we're going to do this is um, we recorded an episode last night over Skype, Paul and I did. We um, we foregoed our usual listener feedback section to save it for this evening. So Ooh. I would suggest that we, uh, if it's okay with you, Mr. Loring, we'll, we'll have a little chat about Commando and I think uh, probably about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because I have a feeling that this is the last listener feedback we'll be able to do before I start getting hundreds of angry middle-aged Star Trek fans dissing me about me slagging off the original series. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be quite controversial, but we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens to that. And um, <laughs> Well, we'll it then, sucked. And then after we've talked about Commando, we will um, probably have a little bit of our usual self-indulgence and some listener feedback. Are you OK to hang around for that as well, Ian? Yeah, no, see, why not, man, yeah. Marvellous stuff. OK, so as I said, we are talking about Commando, the 1985 American action film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I have got a little bit of a printout here from the website, which claims that this film's use of humour in an action film context became a distinctive element in Schwarzenegger's later roles. So um, I'm going to throw this over to the guest first. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ian, where do you stand with him? What, personally or in terms of... Well, in terms do of you know film? him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I do, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, what do you think about his policies regarding pro-life and homosexuality? <laughs> Well, that's, I suppose it's a different conversation. Um, um, we'll restrict it to his, his, his cinematic oeuvre for now. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I don't even know why I said that. Um, okay, uh, well, I mean, I think the 80s was Schwarzenegger's decade. Um, I think through the 90s he became less and less relevant. And in this decade, he, well, I mean, he's barely done anything really, has he? So uh, I, th- but, I think you might be forgetting a little film called Kindergarten Cut. Was that 90s? No, that was 80s. Really, was yeah. it? Uh, it's got to be like 89 and three quarters or something. Oh, uh, well... I thought it was 91 or 90. I thought it was 90 or 91 myself. Oh, you two. After your little sort of haunting in Connecticut loving, I'm already <laughs> the outsider, aren't I? <laughs> no, seriously, that film was fucking awful, though. That's the thing. It was really, really shit. What? I... Kindergarten Cut? No, Haunting in Connecticut. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> As I said, because of the loving thing. No, it was fucking awful. And I mean, like, if anyone if anyone cares, don't go fucking see it, because that's an hour and a half of my life I'm never going to get back. Watch anyway, the, document, the Discovery Channel documentary. It is hilarious. It sounds a lot more fucking it, it's interesting. It's worth so. it just for the Leonard Nimoy narration alone. Yeah, yeah, sounds it. 
Uh, what about you, Paul? What, where, where do you stand with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as a pop cultural phenomenon? I don't know. I mean, his films are usually pretty throwaway, as long as he's in the right role. I mean, undoubtedly the best films he's done have been the Terminator films, mm-hmm. um, because they 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 realised his limitations. Um, Hello, True Lies was pretty good. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I like True Lies. Um, I don't know whether I, I think that the fact that it's quite light-hearted and comedic, um, and directed think, by James Cameron as well, I that think, kind of helps. I think mm. that uh, the fact that he isn't much of an actor, I think he gets away with it more because they can sort of they can sort of laugh at the fact that he doesn't talk very well and. Do you know what I mean? It, well, I mean, the other thing as well is, is that we, we talk about how Arnie had a difficulty kind of transplanting his 80s success into the 90s, and I think a lot of that is, and I think we'll probably get into this a little bit more when we talk about where Commando fits in, sort of, you know, from a zeitgeisty point of view, but I think that the entire subgenre, the muscle-bound um, action hero, kind of died out in the early 90s. I mean, I was listening to um, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema podcast, and they reviewed uh, the Brian Bosworth movie, uh, Stone Cold, the, mm. the biker action movie. Classic. And, and they made a really good point, and they were saying that although it came out in, I think, 91, 92, that was very much the, 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 the dying... The last of the last, 80s movies. Yeah, it was, it was the last of the 80s muscle-bound action movies, and it was kind of out of time. I mean, um, it's, it's, I mean, within the context of Arnie's career, I mean, I, I would argue, and I'll explain why a little bit later, but I would argue that in many ways, Commando, whilst not by any stretch, Schwarzenegger's most um, commercially successful film is his quintessential movie. It's the quintessential Arnie film. And it established a lot of things that he would do later on, particularly, you know, the punning and the humour and the catchphrases and things. Um, but, I mean, at this point, he'd already done The Terminator. I mean, he'd been in America for um, for over ten years. And um, he, he would already, he'd already done, obviously, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, and was Pumpy already quite Iron. successful. And this was very much tied in with the, uh, the Rambo movies and this, <laughs> And this feeling of uh, America going back and <coughs> and winning Vietnam. Now, I mean, obviously the Vietnam War had been over for over a decade at this point. But the thing I got from watching Commando was that there's, it exists in this weird realm of cinema of America exercising its demons for its failures in uh, in Vietnam by having this cartoonish um, character going out and killing all of these people. But then once you get into the later 80s with Platoon and Hamburger Hill and Four Metal Jacket, that whole um, persona seemed a little bit kind of dated and a little bit uh, offensive. I mean, Ian, do you you have any sort of ideas or opinions about um, why this sort of genre of films kind of died on its arse a few years later? Well, the thing is, in a way, I don't think it did because the 90s kind of, gave birth to like the times when Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme could actually have films in the cinema. So, I mean, I'm kind of a little bit questioning as to whether it died out as early as as you think it Mm. did. No, I mean, I'd agree with that, but I think that they were the sort of the the, the death gasps of that to a certain extent. No, I think there's been plenty of, uh, I think there's been plenty of films that you could put into the sort of... uh, the muscle-bound hero no, against... No, then you had Die Hard. Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, whilst being late 80s, early 90s movies, were, so, I, I would argue, subtly different from these kind of films. There were more... I mean, Bruce Willis is a much more believable, everyday kind of Joe than your Van Damme's yeah, or your Yeah, but it's Stallone's. a different, different type of film. 
No, no, absolutely. But what I'm saying is that that, that I don't think I don't change. think it signalled the change. I think I think I tend sorry to agree with Ian again and gang up on you, but I I think that there are plenty of examples of uh, of that sort of film throughout the '90s as well. Well, like what? I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I was calling you out, man. Um, well, Under I could think, I could think of both the Under Siege films. I can think of Rambo three. Um, Rambo where, three was eighty seven. Really? Yeah. I won't. I won't use that Rambo three then. That's a rubbish. Fucking, <laughs> that's a rubbish. Can't help me out, Ian. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the Under Siege films. Uh, sudden death. Uh, Sean called Van Damme at the hockey game where. Oh God! It, yeah. It gets that. taken over by terrorists. I fucking love that. I suppose that Hard Target. I love the fact that Van Damme was in a film called Double Team. <laughs> <laughs> it was a more instant age, wasn't it? And there was know, that's, that's never was, occurred to me up until now. Wasn't Van Damme in quite a few films with some sort of twin involved in it? That, or, that was uh, I, Double Impact. Double Impact, yeah. And, and that had one of my favourite ta- taglines. It was like, uh, one of them packs a punch, the other one packs a piece. <laughs> and it was, I think that like uh, Van Damme's agent was like a, 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 an entendre meister extraordinaire or something at that point every single film that he did and one of them had Dennis Rodman in it for Christ's sake even, even his co-stars had sexually suggestive names but um, okay well I'm, I'm going to um, give us a little bit of background on Commando uh, only a very little bit because most of the people involved in it are kind of journeymen or hacks depending on how you look at it but uh, as I said this film came out in 1985 it was directed by Mark Lester um, who I believe directed, I think, Roller Boogie and a few kind of uh, rather poor films. Jesus Christ. And um, it was <laughs> co-written by... The, the only person, the only one of the writers who I recognise the name is uh, Jeff Loeb, who's uh, I think went on to be a comic book writer. Doesn't uh, he write for Heroes? Yeah. Yeah, I think he does. I think he writes for Smallville as well. I think he was a DC writer and uh, he went on Bloody to... Hell. Jesus, even the cigarette light is ganging up on me, man. It's fucking tough to <laughs> It's fucking funny. <laughs> uh, this movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Radon Chong, who um, shone brightly for about six months in the mid eighties. I think she her. was. Uh, she did a couple of uh, Fresh Princes of Bel Air, as every black actor and actress did in the late eighties, early nineties. It seems. Uh, was she one one of his prospective girlfriends? Or yeah, something? or the mum of a prospective girlfriend, probably at that point. I'm, Actually, I'm not too yeah. sure. Um, this this film has I forgot I had forgotten up to this point got my all time biggest TV crush in it Alicia Milano although she's possibly a little bit young in this film to uh, oh, I don't know to, I don't know how old she's supposed to be in <laughs> I think she's meant to be about eleven Paul <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that there's a non-committal silence coming down the, uh, the no down the yeah <laughs> I'm saying nothing <laughs> Alicia Milano though man. She's the th- she's the reason I watched Charmed. <laughs> really? Yeah. It wasn't the engaging storylines and the uh, witty banter. Well, it was a little bit of that too. All right. Okay. So um, let's just jump straight into this film. I-, I would like to, in a classic Chinstroker versus Penta fashion, take us through the storyline and see what people have, uh, observations people have got. <sighs> now, I'm well aware, Ian, that obviously because you're not in the room with us, you're at a bit of a disadvantage here. So what I'm going to say to you is. Be assertive, brother. We're going to be going through. Just stop us, tell us to shut the fuck up and dive in when you've got anything to say. Is that all right? Aye, aye, Captain. Yep. All right, man. The film opens in suburbia, and this is something that I'd forgotten because I hadn't seen this film for a very, very long time. 
And I've forgotten that, unlike, because I always lump this together with Rambo, because in many ways you could say that this was um, Schwarzenegger's sort of answer to the First Blood movies. Although I believe it came out the same year as um, as First Blood Part Two as Rambo did. Yeah, but, but I, don't, I don't know whether I'd agree. Shut the fuck up, Mike. I'll jump in here and say on. it. I don't, know whether, <laughs> I don't know whether I'd agree with that. I think the stories are completely fucking different. Mm. I think the reasonings behind no, no, Part Two. No, no, that's exactly what I was saying, was the fact that I've, I've got kind of a false memory of this film, because the thing that surprised me about watching it again the other day was the fact that it is set in uh, suburbia and cities until pretty much the last quarter of the film. It's not like a, a jungle warfare kind of movie. Which yeah, is how it's I also got it. a very different, a very different sort. I mean, it's, it's all about him getting his daughter back in this. He's a retired, he's a retired dude, isn't he? At the beginning of the film, he's got the best name ever as well, Colonel Matrix. I know that's <laughs> badass. That is. Badass. But uh, I think there are. I think the Rambo films definitely had a sort of core. Politics, a core politic at the at, at the centre of the films. All of them were always commenting on Nam or, or I suppose to Rambo Three in the sort of uh, Russian Afghanistan war. And I think, I think this is totally different. I think this well, is just a, isn't it? this is just a straight up fucking action movie. Uh, had you seen Commando before, Ian? Before you watched it for for this uh, little soirée? Uh, yeah, no, I've. I've I've seen it a few times. Um, I, I, I used to watch it uh, stoned quite a lot, I seem to remember, uh, around a friend of mine's house when I was about 17 or 18. Um, well, I say quite a lot. It was probably a couple of times. but um, And, uh, yeah, no, I've seen it a few times. But um, one of the reasons why I haven't seen it that much is because it's notoriously not uncut over here. And I've got a thing about not being able to watch fully uncut things even if it's only a couple of seconds what was it for violence uh yeah no yeah, um, it's horrifically cut when it's on tv in this country yes it, it cuts away from every sort of bloody bit doesn't it yeah no it's still um the the copy i've got which is a dvd i recorded off of sky movies uh a couple of years back um is still cut and the blu-ray and dvd version over here is still cut so I'm I'm waiting for it to uh, to be fully uncut before I actually spend any money on it, which I'd love to, as I thought it was a cracking film. But yeah, yeah. Have you got any why idea? What's the Blu-ray release? That's weird, isn't it? I mean, what, what sort of? Have you any idea what the actual content was that was lost? I'm just curious because there is a reason. I, I can think of, of one from the TV. You know, the bit where he he drops from the roof of the shed and uses the circular saw and chop. That, I bet you that's one of the cuts because it always cut away from the bit where you saw it make contact with him. Yeah, yeah no, that's definitely that's cut in the version I've seen. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, we we get introduced to the, the bad guys who like shoot the garbage man, and, and a couple of the um, the sort of heavies in this film. This this film is is populated by oh, it's that guy kind of people. There are so many people, like secondary characters, particularly in the sort of villainous camp, who I just recognise and IMDb'd and gone, oh, okay, yeah, diagnosis murder, like yeah. everybody else. And uh, but we first see Arnie in a fantastically. Um, Kind of a sequence of highly eroticized, um, what again the gentleman described to midnight cinema would call uh, tough tits. Like it's the fetishization of like the hard body. Like he's, he's carrying his logs and it's, <laughs> you've got this kind of weirdly aggressive calypso music playing as well, which is in so much of this film. Is that the most repetitive musical motif that's ever been in a film or what? <laughs> no, the, the pan pipes in The Lord of the Rings. Is it? 
it's fucking James Horner who did the score, is it? Jerry Goldsmith. It's one of the, it's, one of it's the James, other. It's James Horner. Yeah, bloody hell. But it's constant. It's that music. The, the, uh, just the musical change in that opening sequence as well, where um, he kind of sees something creeping up behind him. It's got that aggressive Calypso music. And then he turns around and it's Alyssa Milano. And then suddenly the music kind of goes all light and frothy for a minute it's just oh that cracks me up it's fantastic i love the way as well that that when he he's walking around with the logs and he looks down at kind of his uh, bucolic log cabin he stops and does a kind of bit of smell the fart acting which is meant to convey his kind of contented pride <laughs> his, his, his lifestyle so he's sort of like chopping his logs and uh, and it's just a, is, that, a, is that a metaphor uh, chopping his logs I, I love the bit when he, he, you know he sees a reflection of his daughter and she runs up to him that Ian's just mentioned and she's like oh dad and he's like oh I surrender I surrender and it's just like oh, honey Jesus Christ it's like he was sort of like um and, and you've got the sort of him larking around with his daughter montage and like general hijinks where she puts ice cream on his face and he's like, oh, you. And uh, <laughs> I keep expecting it to go family guy and him to like just punch her in the face. And <laughs> oh, I was about to say exactly that, you bastard. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I'm reassured to know that it provoked a similar response. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and they're feeding animals as well. It's like a kind of Disney sort of sequence almost. <laughs> He's been waiting for it to break into song. And, and I love the way as well that throughout the whole sequence, he's kind of smiling dementedly, and he sort of shows the working with kids' chops that he'll later perfect. In like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then and when he's sort of sitting around, and he makes like the sort of, the, the, why don't they call him Girl George, just to give have his homophobic credentials. Uh, oh, you, oh, I was going to say that. It's the best first line Arnie has in any of his films. Because <laughs> I think I, I remember watching this film when I was pretty young, and even at that age, thinking, "Oh, it's not exactly Kevin Smith, whoever he is." Because <laughs> it's not as good as when he shouts, "Shut up!" Oh, shut up! <laughs> Nobody's going to send me to the caller. We've got no. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop it before it starts. <laughs> but, In this uh, precinct, we do things by the book. By book, <laughs> stop! <laughs> oh God. <laughs> But, okay, so he gets, um, a chopper comes in, and there's a character who is obviously fashioned on the Troutman character, the Richard Krenner character from uh, from First Blood and from Bramble. Right. Basically, the same guy, this character Kirby. And uh, he, he explains to him that, like, you know, his men are on, like, from his team are getting hit, and uh, that there's some kind of crazy shit going down. And, uh, and the second he leaves, um, there's an attack on his uh, bucolic kind of... Uh, lovely countryside setting and it quickly becomes apparent that his protectors are shit yeah man <laughs> i mean <Sorry. laughs> i mean there's a there's a real undercurrent of if you want something done properly you've got to do it yourself with this movie and, I, and he smells them doesn't he apparently he can actually smell them sort of uh like coming over their eyes or whatever which is a, a pretty impressive skill that john matrix has got there <laughs> and, and he goes into his um his own private arsenal and uh, he goes to get his daughter. My uh, God, this! I didn't realise how many double entendres were involved in this film. I know, man. It's, There's been choppers and fucking arsenals. And... To be fair, I'm pretty sure the film doesn't refer to a private arsenal. So I think, Mike, maybe you should be <laughs> yeah, questioning yourself yeah. there. Yeah, I think it, I think it is It is in the beho- eye of the beholder, after all. Well, <laughs> I'm the one who thought that there was some implied eroticism in Arnold Schwarzenegger carrying logs. So I True. Because uh... <laughs> I've got to admit, it never occurred to me when I was watching it. Really, the 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 giant homosexual guy chasing him around, wanting the hard one-on-one with him, with the dodgy handlebar mustache and the chainmail, that oh, we'll kind of had some it. homoerotic overtones. You but, are uh... so gay. 
Everything's about homosexuality to you, isn't it, Paul? Uh, oh, come on. That fucking is one of the most like blatantly homoerotic characters you're ever supposed to fucking get in a film. So it is. Yeah, he, he, he does look like an extra from the Two Tribes video, doesn't he? Oh, he's ridiculous. So, so I mean, and he pushes his, um, his jeep down the hill to catch these guys in a pretty impressive action sequence. And then he just explodes. He rolls over and then just explodes. I'm not quite sure what the mechanism behind that was. <laughs> it's just uh, Arnie logic, I think, really. Bennett, uh, the aforementioned, arguably homoerotic character, um, you find out that he's thrown out of his unit, and uh, and we know why. <laughs> <laughs> we do not roll like that. And uh, and so we're introduced to Bennett, and we, we meet the sort of uh, the comically foreign villain character as well, who seems to be playing the entire film in a kind of knowingly comedic way. I mean, do you know the guy I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I do, but it's it's another one of those. Yeah, I'm never really sure with 80s films, do you know what I mean? Especially fucking 80s films with Arnie as the lead in them. I'm never really sure whether they're playing it for, for laughs or whether they're just really I, bad actors. I think this or... is probably a good point to get into this now. I mean, it's difficult because a bit of time has passed between this sort of subgenre of film being prolific. I mean, I know that's a contentious point, but I mean, what... Is this film meant to be serious? Is it meant to be comedy? You know, when we're laughing at it, are we being kind of postmodern and clever and modern and ironic? I mean, how is this film pitched? I don't quite understand. I don't think it was supposed to be funny at the time. I really don't. I'm back at it, obviously. It's now hilarious in many ways, but there's no way this film was supposed to be funny at the time. It was supposed to be a badass action film. What, you mean even the kind of one-liner quips? I mean, Well, those are part and parcel of that style of film. I think the puns, the the one-line puns in action movies, the sort of uh, surfs up, buddy, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I think they were just part and parcel. But I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think that I don't think that necessarily being able to laugh at films like Commando is particularly clever or postmodern well, because target, because there are genuine funny bits that I don't think were done tongue in cheek. I think. I think they're just it's just generally laughable. Well, I mean, for historical context, I mean, Arnie's always talked about... Yeah, no, I mean, it's just going to say, I, I agree with Paul, really. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it's it's supposed to be serious, but there are moments of comedy in it. But, I mean, like, many serious action films have moments of comedy, and I just think this is one of them, at least it was at the time. I mean, I think that... The, the, I mean, I've read a few interviews with Arnie where he said that his biggest influence was John Wayne, and I think that if you trace back that lineage of the kind of punning, I mean, obviously you've got James Bond, you've got the kind of oh, positively shocking when the guy gets electrocuted and all that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, John Wayne was very much the kind of glib one-liner. And I think that that's where it exists. I mean, you've got, um, I mean, I, the one thing I've also forgotten about this was, I mean, it's at this point in the storyline as well, where it's laid out to, to, to Matrix that, um, the reason that they want him involved is that they want to basically bribe him to go and do a mission for them. And, uh, and the whole when, when Bennett drops him off and he's like, I'll be back, Bennett, I'd just completely forgotten that, that the I'll be back line wasn't just from the Terminator. And it's odd that Arnie had catchphrases which jumped from film to film and franchise to franchise. It wasn't just that when he played the Terminator, he had this. And he, he, the fact that his catchphrases were fluid from one film to another just strikes me as really bizarre. I don't, I don't necessarily think that that was a conscious... That's, I don't think you could name another Arnie film where he, where he uses the I'll be back. The running man. Really? Yeah. Yep. And the whole, the, 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 the fuck you asshole thing as well. There's, there's these weird um, sort of evolutionary thing where he'll... 
have these catchphrases, which aren't his characters in the film's catchphrases. They're Arnie's catchphrases. And that's something that I couldn't imagine you doing there. No, I mean, you couldn't imagine Jason Statham fucking doing the same line in every single film, could you? Or like Vin Diesel. No, well, I don't know. I could, impro- I could possibly imagine Bruce Willis using yippee clay motherfucker in every film he's in. Yeah, but he hasn't. That's no. the difference. In The Last Boy Scout, if he'd have said yippee clay motherfucker, that would have jumped out, out at you. You'd have been like, but that's John well, McClane. But that's- Will Smith had wiki wiki wah. <laughs> <laughs> It always goes back to Will Smith, doesn't it? <laughs> I make everything gay. You make everything about Will Smith. And, and um, that could be argued that it's the same thing. And, <laughs> so he, he, he gets on the plane with the characters and, uh, and, and dispatches um, his um, captor with impressive ease and says he's dead tired. As well. I, I was going to tell him he's dead tired. <laughs> Very sophisticated wordplay. <laughs> oh, aren't we clever? Mocking You're Charlie. quite lucky that... that- uh, your Arnold, Schwar- Arnold Schwarzenegger's accent is actually quite similar similar to the Count from Sesame Street. Yes. So you could do quite a impersonation. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the only one that I can do. <laughs> I'll be back. Let's <laughs> 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 see how I try and do it. I can't. But... <laughs> Fuck you, asshole. Oh, no, nothing like it. Not even close. So, uh, so he jumps out of the plane like 5,000 miles an hour, which is, uh, again, quite impressive. And he starts his timer. And I love the fact that the seconds on his LCD watch actually make a noise. Like, whenever he looks at his watch, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, you wouldn't be able to sleep with that, It's it? because he's... He set the, isn't it because he set the timer and it goes off to tell him like every half hour, every hour that the time's going down. No, to... it's every second. It's like what? So is it to remind him that the time exists? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think you should be conscious of that on an intellectual level. But um, the other thing as well is that although Arnie was like obviously a big guy, because out of all of the action heroes of the eighties, he was the most comically muscly. Not that tall though, is he? No, but he's, he's fucking agile in this film. Like the bit when he's running out of the airplane, he's climbing over shit, and it's not a stunt double. You know, the guy can no. move. No, well, uh, any action scenes that require him to fucking run around, he looks a little cumbersome myself. To I think be honest, the only time that Arnie's funnier than when he's trying to do humour or interact with kids is when he's doing pain. Now, he doesn't do it that much in this, but I'm thinking of, like, particularly in, like, Total Recall. <laughs> Arnie in pain is absolutely fucking hilarious. But, again, this might be another one of those. It says more about me than it says about him. But oh, so- no, no, that bit in Total Recall when he's in the chair, he's going... <laughs> <laughs> I think that the... Uh- the bit where they fall on the planet at the end and they've got the effects of his eyes bulging out yeah. of his head. Yeah. I, remember, I remember when I first saw Total Recall, because again, it, like a lot of Verhoeven films, I remember when I first saw Robocop and Total Recall, because I was relatively young and I was used to a bit of violence in like, you know, Rambo and those type of films. I was just like, holy fuck, I just wasn't quite prepared for that level of, of graphics. Robocop's really bad. I don't think Total Recall's as bad, but... The but director's Robocop. Cut of Robocop's incredible. When Ed 209 shoots that guy and it's just... For so fucking long, he's just like, Aah! and the it's scene incredible. where they pick him apart with the shotguns before oh, he gets turned into. I, I was haunted by that. I remember I must have probably been. I was probably about thirteen or fourteen when I saw that, and I can still remember really vividly where I was where I was when I first watched that film. The bit you're talking about where they're both hand, and I just remember being like, "Holy shit! I can't believe my like my parents are allowing me to watch this." The alcoholic child beaters, <laughs> but uh, so they never beat you. But, but where uh, <laughs> we, we, we see um, Ray, Ray Dawn Chong, and as I say, she was a kind of minor star in the 80s for a, a few years there. Uh, I remember seeing her in, uh, <coughs> uh, 
she starred with such incredible actors as uh, as Mick Jagger and uh, well, and Mick Jagger and Arnold Troy McClure and uh, Troy McClure. And, um, and the, the character, I, I'm sorry, on all of my notes, I've called him Jerry Horn because the character's played by the same guy who played Jerry Horn in Swimming. Yeah. So uh, all the way through, I'm going to be referring to this guy as Jerry Horn, so just get used to it. But, um, but, but the Jerry Horn kind of sleazy character comes on to her. And you get the impression that he's not just evil, he's a bit of a dick as well. And, the, and his character, Sully. his character, yes, yeah, Sully, he's very much one of those 80s archetypes, um, a little bit like um, the reporter from The Tatler in Manhunter. You know, the kind of just dickish, arrogant. Um, yuppie kind of guy who was always a sort of figure of um, evil in these type of films. You got the impression that he was probably a bit of a cokehead, a bit of a philanderer, and that, and that was a cliche that seems to exist a lot in these 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 films, quite a lot. And uh, Arnie rips her seat out, uh, which is again quite impressive. And they they, they tell Jerry Hall, and um, the Jerry Horn character is like uh, it's honestly, not Jerry Horn. He's <laughs> David Patrick Kelly. That's his name. <laughs> He must have been in some other things as well, though, where he wasn't Jerry Hall. Yeah, he was in Commando, playing a character called Sully. Okay. <laughs> it was a good decade for him. And uh, so they go to the shopping mall. I lied. And um, he, he, he basically lays it out to the uh, the Ray Dawn Chong character and explains what's going on. And uh, she essentially dobs him in, to, uh, which will probably need a bit of an explanation to our American listeners. And... Um, he, the Jerry Horn character says that, you know, she's a fucking whore and proves what a scumbag he is. And you see the security guard kind of like macking with like the honeys and he's like, you want to see me kick some ass? And he's oh, like, yeah. Do you want to say it, Ian? I'll let you say this line. What line? <laughs> ah, you see, I open the door and there's nobody there. <laughs> he is one gigantic motherfucker. Oh, bollocks, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wanted to say the first line earlier on that Arnie says, but you stole my thunder. That was that was the only line I've had prepared for the entire that? It should have been called. It should have been called Girl George. You see, even Paul. What have you now. called Girl George? Yeah, We've all done it now. <laughs> if any of our listeners would like to give their rendering of it as well, then. Uh... <laughs> but. Um... I also like the fact that, that when Arnie realises that um, she's dropped him in the shit and that the security guards are coming for him, he does his slow head turn thing that he does in a lot of films where... And I remember seeing a documentary on the making of The Terminator, I think on the DVD, where Arnie explains this, like he's a method actor, how he does it. And it's like, you see, what you have to do... So I'm not going to try to do the impression. It's like, you see what you... I might do in a completely random... No, I'm not even going to go there. He basically says that what you have to do is you have to turn your eyes first... And then turn your head, like he's fucking Lee Strasberg or something. What, so your head catches up with your eyes? Yeah. Uh, I remember that. Isn't it like when he was playing the Terminator, he was saying about like kind of ident- he uses the eyes to like identify the target and then he turns the head afterwards or some shit like that. Yeah, but then in his post-Terminator films, it's as though he forgot that he wasn't the Terminator at any point <laughs> and, and he was just still doing that. And then he upends the freaking phone box. Oh, it's incredible with the guy still in it. I tipped a cow over. <laughs> that took a good run up and a big bit of a shoulder, but it went. I'm very impressed. Makes a big <laughs> fart when it hits the ground. So that's why you cow tip. Fuck this. Let's go and do that now. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, he batters the fuck out of the security guards. And uh, and Miss um, Chong sees the error of her ways and, and helps John eventually, as you do. And... Um, and he does the balloon swing to the lift as well. Another gravity-defying moment in this film. Yeah, like that fucking thin bit of 
decorating ribbon would have held Arnie's weight to swing across that moor. I know, I know. It's it's strangely unrealistic. The film probably wouldn't have worked if he'd plummeted to his death at that point, though. No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would have been a much artier way to go, but mm. I don't think that's. <laughs> and, and we get the car chase as well. And Ray Don Chong does that other great eighties um, movie cliche thing, where she's doing the historic, the hysterical kind of bad day thing. You know, where she's kind of like, "Oh, it's not my day. First you did this, and then you did this," and kind of wittering on in a kind of being the audience's eyes kind yeah. of. Yeah, but then she soon overcomes that to be able to like work that multi. Warhead rocket launcher later on in the film. So that, actually, that scene uh, provokes one of the, I think, the, one of the funniest moments in the film when she's saying like, "You did this, then you did this, then you did this, then you did this." Aren't you going to tell me what's going on? And then Arnie just looks at her and goes, "No." <laughs> <laughs> My book. And, uh, <laughs> and they crash as well, really fast with no seatbelts on, but they're fine. But I suppose you know, come on, who are we? And um. He hangs the guy over the cliff. Uh, Ian, do you want to take us through this scene? Because I feel like we've, we've left you out of the great Arnie quote moment, and this is like some primo shit here. Uh, no pressure. Oh, God, hang on a second. Solly, remember when I told you I'd kill you last? That's right, Matrix, you did. I lied. Yes! <laughs> Just went up to the loo. I was spitting in the toilet, and the string of spit hung on. I accidentally sucked it back up and got a mouthful of urine. <laughs> oh, <that's> <laughs> How nice. Uh, <laughs> and we're still recording, which is even better. Uh, uh, yeah, I made it Oh, my made it. God. But anyway, Arnie... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've had you guys ganging up on me. I've drank my own piss. Uh, I'll have some birthday cake just to get the fucking taste out of my mouth. <laughs> Make sure you cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't, don't want to eat, contaminate it. Don't eat from the cake. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Arnie um, lets out a, a, a pun of almost Connery-like proportions when he says that he let him go. And um, he, he, he explains to Ray Dawn Chong's character how um, the he has been blackmailed into doing the whim of these comedically, vaguely foreign bad guys. And um, he also gives a tiny little bit of character development when he explains that Jenny's mother died when she was being born, and that's why he loves her so much, because that's a good way of conveying characters. Because otherwise there'd be no reason to love your child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, yeah, so why are you so interested in getting this kid back? Well, you know, she's just my offspring. Well, that's not so good. Mother died. Oh, okay, I'm with you now. I'll help <laughs> you. And, uh, and he says that he was never there because he was off, you know, being heroic. And... um so, you know, we get, we get a bit of character depth underneath the constant music. And um, he, he gets a bit of help off her. So they go to Jerry Horn's motel room and have a little snoop around. And um, the, the, the black dude who has been in 15,000 films and, and diagnoses murder turns up and there's a bit of a scrap. You find out that uh, he says, uh, I eat green berets for breakfast. What, what's the line? There's some incredible... Ian, you must know this. It's not like, oh, I, I eat little pieces of shit for you, like you for breakfast. You eat shit for shit breakfast. For breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so we're quoting Adam Sandler now, are we? Yeah, right. Good times. Guys make notes. Yeah? What, does that not show? <laughs> well, no, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. It's just like... <laughs> shit. My bad. No, no, no. I mean, like, no, no, no. You're, like, you, you got, English right. is your first language? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I just, I don't ever make notes when I'm watching films. I just let it kind of ride. But It depends because, I mean, I think, again, I mean, one of the big sort of differences between our shows is because you cover multiple things. You don't really sort of need to be able to do that. I mean, because you you have to, like, you know, do four or five films in a, a one-hour period. 
Mm. Um, I mean, it depends on what I tend to do. Is... Mike watches them twice, once yeah. without making notes and once making notes. Really? Yeah, because <laughs> I find, because if I'm making notes when I'm watching a film for the first time or for the first time in a really long period of time, um, it interrupts the, the process and it's so contrived to do that. But generally, time permitting, what I do is I'll just sit and watch it and then I'll go through it again and, uh, and do that. So, uh, yes, I watched Towelhead twice. Jesus. Jesus. Sometimes I didn't even watch it once. No, I know. Well, when did, did you watch Commando again for this? You're just blagging your way through it, aren't you, Bat? <laughs> You've never even seen this fucking film, have you? Who's it got in it again? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love as well during the fight as well that the, the almost um, Oscar Wildean banter between um, Arnie and um, and his antagonist, where he's like "fuck you, asshole," and he's like "no." Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> Way, good comeback. Ooh. Burn. Checkmate. And uh, so, yeah, so we've got a little bit more Arnie kind of catchphrase carrying over. And, um, and and Ray Dawn Chong also does that 80s kind of witty observation sort of for, the, for and to the audience thing, which is like, these guys eat too much red meat. Oh, God, she's fucking awful. Well, it's like the, the bits that are meant to be funny aren't, and the bits yeah. that to be are. I mean, there's this kind of like weird reversal uh, enjoyment. But, but, but I, I think all the comedy in these sort of films comes from poor performance. It comes from sort of like knowing that these people would never work in today's sort of era of... I mean, there aren't... And there are plenty of bad films still, but, you know, there are lots of really good actors out there now as well. I mean, act, good actors that do action as well, well as okay. I mean, th- th- you the more argue, serious I points. Mean, let's look at the modern, the contemporary sort of action movie archetypes. I mean, the obvious one's Jason Statham. And, I mean, that's a world removed from Arnold Schwarzenegger, because Jason Statham looks like somebody that you'd see down the pub. Whereas if Arnie walked in a pub, you'd be like, who the hell's that freak? I don't know, though, man. Jason Statham's solid. Yeah. He's fucking massive as well now. Have you seen the Crank 2 poster of him putting the clips on his tongue? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I cannot wait. It actually, Ian, I've got to give you credit for this. It was you that introduced me to the uh, the Crank movie. Oh. Um, but not the Crank. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with our terminology for Crank, by the way? No, but it sounds funny. It's um, it, it's to masturbate whilst crying. Is to have a crank. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, he's doing it now. Yeah, yeah. No, don't don't act it out. Christ! <laughs> I, I've always seen it more as a kind of a, a breathy cry, like a kind of a. <laughs> <laughs> In my mind's ear. Oh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you've had piss drinking. You've had masturbating whilst crying. But so Arnie in Commando skewers this dude because when you think about it, or even when you don't think about it, actually no, I'm, I'm going to bypass that because he's pretentious and you two will just gang up on me. No, go on. And um, and the the Troutman <laughs> character says, uh, no, he's addressed by somebody. He's like, "What are you expecting?" And he's like, "World War Three." It's very much that kind of cautionary character that you know what most people call hell, he calls home and. That was a this, this disease. Who left the fridge open? <laughs> <laughs> but you get these kind of weird father figures in these 80s movies. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and be serious now. You, you two chuckle away at your smart 21st oh, century fucking... Come on, that fucking... Those trailers at the Friday Tropic Thunder are brilliant. Yeah, shame about the rest of the movie, though. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> oh, 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 we get Bill Paxton in here as well. I've forgotten he was in that. He oh, he's like the radar screen operator guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was like, yeah. uh, and and he's one of, I think he's one of two people who were killed by the alien and the predator. I think him and Lance Henriksen are the only two people who have that uh, that privilege. 
they've been killed by all the best ones. Yeah, but I don't think being in Alien vs. Predator can be counted as a privilege in any way, shape or form. A good scene of, uh, of Mr. Bennett again, um, the arguably gay person uh, who admires Matrix, in heavy air quotes, and he disses the soldiers of fortune because he sees them as being kind of effeminate. He's like, no, these guys will be nothing when Matrix shows up and opens up a can of Arnie. They're not going to stand a chance. And, uh, and when they land the plane, we get to see Arnie in Speedos, which um, kind of disturbed me a little bit. Oh, I don't even need to think about that image again. <laughs> and he, he, he rows onto shore, flexing his tough tits as well. <laughs> oh, did you, have you guys heard who we're going to be seeing in Speedos, who we really shouldn't see in Speedos uh, in one of the summer blockbusters this year? Do tell. Tom yeah. Hanks in Angels and Demons. No. Yeah, apparently. Uh. It was in Empire, this, uh, the, the one that came out last week. Yeah, no, apparently. There should uh, be an age restriction on Speedos. And it should be around 17, 18 that people are allowed to wear after I think, that I think point. Early 70s Tom Jones. I think that's the cut-off point there, really. I was really disturbed, Ian, actually. I was listening to you to the last um, Cinerama episode, and you were talking about the, the Jim Carrey, uh, Ewan McGregor movie. Hmm. And um, Jesus, that 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 conjured up a very dark mental image. Yeah, no. Apparently, it's proper explicit gay sex in that thing. That's why they're having so much problem, uh, many problems trying to get somebody to uh, distribute it. But uh, yeah, sounds horrible to me. No, because you said that there was. I mean, I think you were quoting somebody, but you mentioned that there's a scene where um, Jim Carrey comes inside a guy's ass. Now, I mean. I'm guessing back to implied. I'm not. Yeah, I was going to say it's not going to be a POV shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not going to be a nasty close-up. I wouldn't have imagined, but uh, fucking, uh, like a, it's probably going to be like the look on his face or something. Oh, I, I, I think as an actor trying to portray somebody coming in your ass as a look on your face has got to be a pretty fucking. Well, I envisage tall order. Uh, George Lucas's <laughs> O face in that South Park Indiana Jones rape episode. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Stick him, Lucas. <laughs> well, well, well. Indiana Jones, don't you look nice? <laughs> oh, that's that's he's just balled it for me. He was so vulnerable in that. But um, okay, where the fuck am I, man? Ba ba ba. Edit, edit, edit. Arnie and speedos. Roe flexing his tough tits. Uh, yes, I did write that down. Nice. Uh, you've got the. Oh, oh, this is where you get the quintessential um, fast edit eighties booting up sequence, you know, the putting the knife in the shoe, tightening the belt. Surely that was in Rambo. Surely Evil Dead 2. One. Evil Dead 2. Evil yeah. Dead 2 is a good call, yeah. Because I was surprised that this, because this came out the same year as um, as Rambo, as First Blood Part 2, and I'd always figured it was later, because I I'd figured that this was um, a cash-in on the whole Rambo thing, but for, for either it was rushed into production because there was this feeling that Rambo was going to be successful and every studio wanted to have their equivalent. Sorry, was this, it, was was this, this Rambo or First Blood? Uh, Rambo, which was First Blood Part 2. Yeah, but, I could say, because it's, I mean, First Blood's an amazing film, but I don't think any of them, any of the rest of them are even close to it. No, but there, there was this kind of zeitgeisty thing, though. I mean, the fact that, the, but, that both Rambo and Commando came out in the first, the same year, and unless it was a kind of wire up, tombstone, rushing into production to sort of get your film out first because you get all of these weird um lots of similar films coming out at the same time kind of thing you know like the sort of um the the underwater horror sci-fi movie craze of the of the late 80s like with leviathan sphere and, and the abyss yeah and like um uh, deep star six and all those kind of movies i mean um 
I'm curious to what you think about this, Ian, because I mean, you you were sort of you know born around this type of era, so you're probably coming at this from a, a, a one generation removed. I mean, do you think it was just that this film was rushed out or made to, to cash in on on Rambo, or do you think there was just something in the air? Um, I would say something in the air, to be honest. I mean, I think it's just the whole attitude of this time in the '80s. I mean, it's during during the old um, like Ronald Reagan era as well, wasn't mm-hmm. it? When um, it was all just like this kind of attitude was prevalent. So, uh, no, I mean, I don't think it was particularly, like, rushed into production or anything to capture the zeitgeist. I just think it was of, it's certainly of an era. Yeah, because there's a general perception of 80s action movies that that the the hero in them represents represents the community, represents the ordinary people mm. on the street, and then the villains in it will represent... Uh, government or the establishment yeah, big and business yeah and 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 all of them to some extent or another can be labeled the same way i i just think possibly that because i think they're very different films i'd say though that the action movie subtext of the working joe against the man was a slightly later thing i think that's more of a diehard kind of thing the fact that all of the characters in diehard that are in the right are you kind of average Joe cops kind of gumshoes? Yeah, the but I suppose bit... it's. You, I'm just talking about the sort of Cold War era version of that, mm. where it was very much, you know, the the uh, the America against the communists against well, the well, rest I mean, of the world. The, the other thing that we haven't mentioned, I mean, because Arnie obviously is not um, an American, or in in you know the classic sense of the word, he's Austrian, isn't he? So, so the idea, as the idea that maybe his character in this film was was representing, uh, you know, America retroactively winning the Vietnam War, although you know Vietnam's obviously not part of it, is kind of muddied by the fact that you're it's a European person playing it. So the fact that Arnie became the poster boy for American um, military might is sort of it's muddied a little bit by the fact that he isn't an American, although I'm think that. You know who is ultimately, but basically he goes into full-on kind of carnage mode at this point, and he's going around just plugging people. Um, by Can I just say something? Okay, please do. Um, sorry, I'm just looking at the IMDb page for the guy who plays Bennett, Vernon Wells, and some of the stuff he's been in recently is quite incredible. Um, he was a recurring character in quite a few versions of the Power Rangers TV series. Uh-huh. <laughs> He in 2008 he starred in It's a Wonderful Death. <laughs> no, that sounds like an episode of Diagnosis Murder. Murder she wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah, dressed up quite. and nowhere to die. <laughs> he's also in Green Street Two, oh, and yeah. um, he's in a film currently in post production that he's in Silent Night, Silent Night, Zombie Night. <laughs> I love it. I am there, man. They've got my money already. Now, sorry, sorry I presume, carry on. <laughs> I presume Power Rangers was just because he's a big dude and he was playing one of the sort of latex monsters. He was ransick, apparently. Oh, um, I, I unfortunately, wouldn't. no photos available, but he was in a fucking shitload of episodes by the looks of it. Well, I bet it must be a good paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big action sequence at the end, this has two or three of my favourites. Is this um, the uh, attack on them? Is it a mansion? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's a sort of compound, complex yeah. area. And it has some of my favourite um, 80s action movie. And, and, well, TV as well, because, I mean, growing up in this age as well, it was, there was a lot of, you know, the A-Team and MacGyver and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lots of death by explosions. 
and um, and Ar- Arnie's just mowing these incompetent bastards down. And uh, and you and you get that kind of A team thing of a, a grenade being thrown at the ground and guys flying in the air as opposed to just exploding, which yeah. is probably what they'd do. And it's also like the fact that it, 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 exploding in 80s movies consisted of like falling off a roof onto another roof. There was always that kind of, I'm on a big roof, I've fallen onto another roof. And are they dead? I mean, how does that work? I don't know. There was a big, there's always a tradition of 80s movies of the villain dying and then suddenly coming back through the smoke or the rub or bursting out of the rubble to have one final go. And they were always ridiculously, horrifically burned or injured but could still carry on going. Um, and I think, I mean, that hadn't, that hadn't even ended by the time Die Hard. It happens at the end of Die Hard, doesn't it? He, ha- he hangs the guy and then he sort of comes out and has a go at them at the end. And there's some, like, super excellent de-limbing. I mean, this is a scene that I think most people remember from when they first watch it, is the, the aforementioned kind of, like, buzzsaw throwing bit. And um, the other 80s convention as well is that you always get the, and I think this might be a, a, a holdover from the Bond films, where you get the kind of evil bad guy uh, and the kind of boss level um, heavy assistant, you know, the guy who in this case is the mustachioed kind of Freddie Mercury guy. And, um, and the big boss grabs uh, Jenny and um, you, he throws away like his chicken shit gun. And uh, he's like, Benny, I kill you now. And you've got the knife fight. Now, Ian, you mentioned earlier on the fact that you felt that this was one of the um, arguably homoerotic sequences. Do you want to kind of get into that a little bit? <laughs> The whole sort of discussion about what it's going to feel like to penetrate him with his... Oh, record. no. Okay. No, sorry. I Did I really say that? I, think, I don't think you actually said it in those words, but we were talking about it. it, was, it I, I mean, like, generally, yeah, he's homoerotic. And I mean, it, 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 I mean, yeah, it is probably the one scene where... It, I mean, it's blatantly, he's getting his frustration out on not being able to fuck Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. by trying to kill him. So, because I mean, they they're sort of caught, all the uh, other soldiers that don't quite come up to the, their level get called fucking faggots and all sorts, don't they? Up until this point as well. Mm. I mean, even for someone me who's, who derises mostly the sort of uh, reading between the lines when it comes to films like this, can't help but notice. I think this film's. But right. you had an erection. I think. Yes. I am. I, I think this is right up there with Top Gun in the shameless, like, this is homoerotic and we're not even going to bother to fucking hide it. Because I, I was reading, I can't remember what the website's called, just big raging gay hard-ons or something like that. Um, <laughs> Are you sure you want to be saying this? When they're yeah, was this about, his research for this? It or? was, yes, it was. It was one of these was. websites Mike's always spamming me with. Don't, um, don't drag me into this yeah. shit. Uh, where was I? <laughs> oh, have you drifted off into thoughts? Of... <laughs> A little thought. You just say them. big gay hard on. He's gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't honestly remember what I was going to say. Well, God, your mother listens to this. I only read you were you were reading a website and it was yeah, talking I... about this scene. Oh, it was one of our listeners, I think, emailed you a link. Yeah, it, they did. Uh, we had a conversation about it on another episode, and one of our listeners. Uh, emailed us with a site and they've basically gone through every uh, 80s action movie. I mean, there's hundreds on there and there's like a proper review and then there's a scene-by-scene breakdown of where all the homoerotic bits are and and it, they're obviously, it seems like they're reviewed by gay guys because some of the reviews are hilarious but, but you just... 
you don't realise until you see it written down on page after page after page, just on like Top Gun. It adds up. That just how fucking. But they said that that basically they think that there weren't any studios in the eighties that would get away with making an overtly gay film. The thing is, and this was this was about the only way that they the, could the, get because apparently uh, is it Rocky two or Rocky three is one of the really oh when they're dancing ones. on the beach, him and Apollo Creed are yeah. hugging and jumping and, up and down. And, and the the poster for it as well was supposed to be one of these things that was like huge in the gay community. The thing is, the the, the, the pop cultural signifiers for homosexuality change over the years. I think I wriggled out of that quite nicely. Carry on, next. You wriggled out of what? <laughs> Derailed. But um, Arnie also does that fantastic thing where he finds the hidden reserve of strength, you know, where he's getting kind of like beaten down. and The uh, WWF wrestler yeah, thing. Yeah, and he's kind of like, oh, I'm not going to win. And then he, you know, thinks of his daughter or something and he's kind of like, right, no, fuck you, asshole. And, oh, no, sorry, I remember what I was going to say. The, uh, speaking about um, gay subtext in films, one of my favourite lines about that was um, I, I read an interview. Well, I, heard, I think it was on a commentary actually from Kevin Smith talking about when Chasing Amy came out, and he used to go to all of the test screenings of his films. And directors apparently are given the option; they don't have to do it; they're not duty bound or, or contractually bound to do it. And he went and watched the um, the test screening of Chasing Amy, and he sat in the back, you know, collar pulled up so nobody could recognise him, and all this kind of stuff. And he was listening to the audience members being questioned by the the, the guy from uh, Miramax, and somebody in the audience said, "Oh, I I really enjoyed the film until it got to the point where the Ben Affleck character and the Jason Lee character um, started speaking about um, perhaps having a latent homosexual feelings about each other, and it made me feel really uncomfortable, and I don't know why." And Kevin Smith from the back of the audience shouted, "Because you're fucking gay," <laughs> <laughs> like Paul. And um, and then so Arnie did he really shout like Paul? Because that's yeah. amazing. I've never <laughs> met him. <laughs> when I heard that, I thought I'm gonna have to remember that little nugget for when we're podcasting. And uh, Arnie dispatches uh, his um, mustachioed protagonist, uh, sorry antagonist. And uh, he's, he, it's nice to know that you can still wisecrack whilst uh, murdering somebody in front of his daughter. And um, he's, the chopper lands on the beach, and uh, Matrix mm. carries down his daughter, and he gets a fucking super excellent power station tune playing. Which, uh, if we didn't have a sound delay, I'd get the acoustic guitar out now and uh, get a bit of Kumbaya going. Oh, well, we're, we're, aren't we lucky? Yes. Well, never mind. Yeah, maybe next time. <laughs> We've been saved. So we have got to the end of the uh, narrative of uh, Commando. So let's let's go around the, the virtual room. Um, birthday boy first. Paul, sum up. Uh, I... I quite like Commando. I, I can't really... I, I can't... I don't think I can call any sort of mid-80s action movies, classics, by any stretch of the imagination, unless you're holding them up against other examples. Do you know what I mean? Are, are there any that you'd consider classics? <sighs> I don't know, because like, half the films I've said tonight have turned out they've been in the 90s or I'm in the wrong decade. So, or, just, uh... or just weren't gay enough for you. <laughs> I, think I don't that... know. Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I think both of those films... Um, but again, I differentiate. I still think that they're from another. Sorry, I'm interrupting your wrap up. Please carry what, on. Are they that, are they that different? Well, I it's think only there, a couple of years. I isn't think it? there was a, there was a subtle shift in action movies that began with those films, but didn't fully realise itself until the nineties. Yeah, um, well, I, 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 I like Commando. I think it's one of Arnie's better films. Um, 
I think it's it's it, it's quite light-hearted. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, I'd recommend it to people. I mean, it's not it's not a it's not a masterpiece of cinema or anything, but it's entertaining for the eighty-five minutes it's on or whatever. Excellent. What about you, Laurie? Uh, well, you know, you got Arnie picking up a fox guy in it and smashing it on the floor. You've got him doing that swinging thing on that bit of whatever the fuck it is material, and he seems to manage to swing across. You, you know, you got uh, let off some steam, Bennett. You know, I, I mean, there's many individual moments which uh, shine, but Ray Dawn Chong is fucking excruciating throughout yeah. the entire thing. Um, I. F- thought the pace was strangely meandering at times uh especially considering the flicks like an hour and 25 minutes long and um i mean i'd still very very much recommend it i think it's i to be fair i think it's for an arnie film the subgenre of arnie films i think it's one of the best i'll say that much excellent okay i mean one of the reasons i picked this because i've wanted to um i mean because we were talking about Arnie, I think, in our very first ever episode, and I, I've always wanted to pick one. And the, real, the reason I picked this is that it's not his most successful film. Um, it's certainly not his best film. But I think in many ways it's, uh, it's quintessential because, I mean, again, to use the sort of Bond analogy, if you look at the early Bond movies like um, Dr. No from Russia with Love, it, when you get to Goldfinger, it, that's the point where everything came into place. All of the cliches were there. And we're, and we're kind of set up. And I think that this is the one, that Commando is the Arnie film that you should go and view to get the best indication of what an Arnie movie was. It was the first one that had the um, the bad puns, um, the, you know, getting um, tooled up for battle. All of these kind of like cliches which have gone on to become um, signifiers of Arnie movies were really in place um, for the most part here for the first time. Many of them had appeared beforehand in other Arnie films, but this is the one where I think he came into this with a really strong sense of his brand and what he represented and what people wanted from him. And I think this was the first knowing Arnie movie. This was the first... I think this was... This wasn't the first Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but I think this was the first Arnie movie. Take from that what you what you will. Uh, I'm getting a look of what the fuck from Paul Song. <laughs> I, I think that's actually quite a good way of, uh, of saying it. Oh, to be don't honest. encourage him. No, no, seriously, I, I haven't agreed with Mike a lot tonight. In fairness, no, so this is one where I can actually uh, side with him. <laughs> so on that nugget, to and I'm just out of quite it. interested in how where you two stand on his '90s movies, things like End of Days, The Sixth Day. Um, Jesus Christ, I can't think of any more. Uh, shit and shit, respectively, I'll say that much. Do you think that he's made any good things in the 90s? I think that he was... Terminator 2. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he made some good stuff in the early <coughs> 80s, which was at the tail end of his 80s cycle. But I think that he kind of lost his confidence. I think that um, the world had changed, so he was trying to tailor his image to modern films. And I just think that he didn't have a place anymore in, in modern cinema. That's the problem I've got with his 90s output. Yeah. Actually, do you know what? I get quite a bit of fun from Last Action Hero as well. But I, just like, I like the Last Action Hero. Yeah. It's, it's an underrated one. and it was, it was nice to see Arnie actually kind of being a little bit post But that, that was quite... It was almost a parody spoof movie, wasn't it? I well, mean, it was almost taking the piss out of the sort of films he'd made in the 80s. Well, it, and... it, it was the first film he made after Terminator 2, and I think Terminator 2 was probably the peak of his, his success. When was True Lies? 
Uh, True Lies was 93, I think. It was, I think he did Terminator 2, then Last Action Hero, then True Lies. But again, it was because he was returning to um, working with Cameron. I mean, there was a lot of great potential Arnie films in the 90s that were lost. Because, I mean, he was going to do uh, I Am Legend in the 90s, and that never happened. And he was going to do um, Planet of the Apes with Cameron as well. That was on the cards for a while there. And I think well, that, they were picking Heston-style roles, were they? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> or roles where he, didn't, he wouldn't need a lot of dialogue. Well, yeah, I think that... The, the, I am legend, the last man in the world, so... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, before we get on to listener feedback and what we're doing next week, has anybody else got anything they want to add? No. Nah. Um, righty then. Okay. Wrap it up. Okay, then. Well, I'm going to go for piss number 16, and then we'll come back and we'll do a little bit of listener feedback, if that's all right. Safe. Cool, and then we'll uh, we'll call out a couple of the podcasts that have pissed me off over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're back, uh, and results, I didn't drink any of my own piss this time. Sweet. <laughs> nice. So, uh, well, I don't know if it was sweeter, <laughs> but we are going to get on to listener feedback. Um, before we do that, I would like to thank Ian for joining us to talk about Commander this evening. Thank you, sir. Nah, not a problem, man. Always a pleasure. Do you want to tell our listeners how they can reach you? Uh, yeah, uh, you can find uh, my show Cinerama on iTunes or at cinerama.jellycast.com forward slash feed, I believe. Something like that. That's catchy. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know, I like it. Um, but uh, <laughs> just, just use iTunes. Fantastic. Okay, well, um, and do you want to give out your sort of Twitter details as well and that whole kick the fiddle? Oh. Oh, yeah, why not? Um, all right, uh, twitter.com forward slash Ian Loring, all one word. Uh, the Rattle, I do shit on there, therattle.co.uk, and yeah. Okay, so um, the first email we've got, this is actually an email that we had on our, uh, our last show, but there was a few questions that he posed that we said that we were going to hold off and answer tonight because we oh. knew that we were going to be having you on here, Ian, so we thought we'd throw these out. Uh, this is from uh, James Price. And he said that here are a few topics to discuss. And I'm just going to throw these out there. And Oh, uh, this motherfucker can leave me a voicemail, by the way. Is this the guy from LA, uh, Las Vegas? Yes. Or? Yeah, fucking James Price. Give me a bloody voicemail. Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Do that, James, but not the expense of uh, sending them to us. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so here are a few topics to discuss. Which Oscar winners are truly deserved and which are strictly political? Content versus subtext in films, and how box office is affected once a leading actress shows her breasts. So uh, I'm going to throw these over to the guests. I'm going to start with the interesting one, which is obviously is how box office is affected once a leading actress shows her breasts. New to see in films, Ian. Um. All right. Well, I think there's a reason why Halle Berry got on a million dollar bonus for showing them in Swordfish. Um. It. it the but the, the thing is though. I think it's generally accepted that, well, in the past anyway, when women uh, got them out for films, that their reputation was somewhat sullied a little bit. Like, um, it, it was, like, degrading themselves. But I don't think it affects the eventual box office at all. Nah. I don't think that... It, if, if you mean by that, will people go and see it on the strength that they're going to get to see Halle Berry's tits... For example, mm. I don't think uh, it would have well, 0.001% of we an live, effect. I mean, we live in the age of the internet. If you want to look at nudity... But, I mean, even, even, if, it, even if it was 15 years ago, still, it, it, the, as soon as the film came out, the shot would be in 
every tabloid mag and paper going. So you wouldn't need to go to the cinema to see it. I remember the the great um, Terry Hatcher tit sighting of '92. <laughs> <laughs> Good times they were. I mean, because she she was in a film and. I, Oh, what was it called? Oh, no, a cool service. I mean, he said cool runnings, <laughs> but there was no, there was no, there was no tits. <laughs> thank God. But, but I remember that being in all in like the Daily Sport and all that, and I sort of got the newspaper, had a little cry, shall we say, <laughs> cracked the code, oh, and um, and then thought, well, I don't need to go and see that. But I mean, I just don't see how people. I mean, I, I can't imagine paying to go and see a film purely on the basis of seeing somebody's uh, mammalian protuberances. It's just no. Um, I mean, but I, I, I can't think of. I, I'm not. I don't go and see any films because of the people in them. Okay, I mean, he talks about also um, content versus subtext in films. Now, I mean, I, I, I probably need a little bit of clarification on this. What James actually means by this? He's but, talking I mean, about what we've been talking about for the past hour. Yeah, well, no, but I don't. I don't see them as being kind of um, mutually exclusive. That I don't think that content has to be versus subtext in films. And I think that, you know, subtext can be content and vice versa. I mean, I, 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 maybe I'm misinterpreting the, the question there. To get more specific for you in a nice voicemail. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, this is probably going to be edited and, and off air, but have, have you heard of K7, Ian? Um, well, I mean, it it's, say. It's, I think it's open to interpretation. Because I, 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 um, I didn't watch Milk until a, a, a few days ago, uh, which... which uh, I believe is the yeah. Sean Penn won the best actor, didn't he, for that? Um, and I can't believe that they gave a best actor Oscar for that performance. I genuinely can't. I also, do you think it was because they, they were saying that? I they, think they gave I think they gave the Oscar for the for the subject matter and because it was piece. It was a quite a PC film. Mm. Uh, not necessarily on the strength of the performance. Well, what about you? I think yeah, having I think watched Mickey the... Rourke in The Wrestler. I thought he was a knockout in that. I really did. I thought he was amazing. What about you, Enough? I get the impression that you follow the Oscars a little bit closer than Paul and I do. I mean, what's your feeling with this, with the whole sort of political motivations for giving people awards? Well, I think it it happens uh, an awful lot. I mean, I think with uh, Sean Penn winning for Milk, I haven't seen Milk myself just yet, so I can't say performance, but uh, I believe California just voted to ban or to not respect gay marriages as having the, the same rights as uh, as um, male female marriages so it was kind of seen as quite a political move to give sean penn the oscar just to say look this we're hollywood this is what we think look at us we're liberal and i mean i think it happens a lot i think denzel washington winning for training day a few years ago yeah. oh yeah that. yeah and, definitely yeah, I mean, and the fact I thought is, Training Day was a good film, but uh, uh, not a, an Oscar-winning. Well, also, it was the same year that Sidney Poitier won the Lifetime Achievement Award as well. So there was this feeling of kind of we're sorry. Yeah, 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 quite. Okay, well, thank you very much, James. Um, so what you need to do, James, is um, send some voicemail over to Cinerama and clarify the content versus subtext in films question. And I've actually just got a number for voicemail. Funnily enough. Oh, for, do you want to plug it, as it were? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so for American listeners, it's strictly two zero six three three nine three one two zero, or for UK, it's what double o one two o six three three nine three one two o. That's right. And ours um, is if you're calling from the states, 
2063397698 and if you're calling from the UK it's 001206339 so let the popularity content and obviously commence. if you want to uh, if you want to call from anywhere else you'll uh, have to find out your own country codes cuz um we don't give a fuck <laughs> i was trying to think of a polite way to say that <laughs> And if you want to call Paul's mobile, it's 07... (laughs) If there's any disgruntled Star Trek fans out there, then... uh, Okay, let's get on to the voicemail. We've got one voicemail this week. Uh, Just finish rolling my cigarettes. Okay, then. uh, This is from Tony, who has left us a voicemail previously, I believe, in regards to our Future Armor episode. And that's the wrong button. Hello, boys. This is Tony from the U.S. Here's a quick message from your PM, Gordon Brown. Uh, hello there, uh, Dan and Ben. I really enjoy your show, Mondo Moon. What? Oh, it's nothing. It is uh, uh, Paul and... I, I, I must say that I'm rather disappointed that, that uh, I wasn't given the correct names on this list. What? what? No. No. What I want to know is who the fuck is in charge of this. Do I look like I have the word cunt written on my forehead? (laughs) Let me tell you something. In the next five minutes, I better be snorting cocaine off of some fat whore's ass or you're fired. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Worst accent ever. No. Eh, Fucking deal with it. It's free. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Talk to you guys later. Take care. First of all, Tony, Gordon Brown's Scottish. <laughs> not to pull you. I mean, I mean, we're not the best at accents either. But speak for yourself. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Mike, Mike's a master of the uh, disguise. I am the master of the accent. <laughs> it doesn't work unless you tell us what the accent's supposed to be beforehand. Unfortunately, with your impersonations. Well, well I think we're going to have to start using that as our new introduction. Actually, that'll be a drop. We need drops. If anybody else actually wants to send us things that are plugging anything that they do, as long as it gives us enough of a sense of um, self-congratulation, we will actually play it. Okay, our next email is from James McNulty. Hey. And, uh, oh, a familiar name there? Yeah, yeah, man. No, he was uh, quite a lot to me. So, yeah, hey, James. Fantastic. Okay. Um, he says, hey, guys, I just wanted to get my two pence in on how you could cover TV shows. Uh, I'm just going to jump in here and say that it seems really odd that the majority of the feedback we have had has been about the one TV episode uh, that we did. So I'm beginning to wonder whether maybe we should just be doing a television podcast. Um, um, if it was a show, because uh, we were asking people about what uh, their suggestions would be for TV shows uh, that we should cover. And he says, if it was a show with short seasons like The Sopranos or Dexter, then you could probably cover a whole season in a single episode by going over the driving plot of the season and mentioning some incidental subplots if you deem them worthy. For shows with longer seasons like Buffy or The X-Files, then you could probably cover a season over two episodes, um, as with uh, such detail and mythology like the two I have mentioned, would need an extended amount of time to cover. If you were to look for references for events to come, for example, in Buffy they introduced the idea of Dawn at the very end of season three, and it didn't pay off until season five. Would love to hear your original episode on TV shows, but since I was not a listener at the time, I did not hear it, and it's currently stuck in the limbo. 
between main feed and the my podcast feed. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll, 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 I've been getting shit off all about this. <laughs> Thanks for opening up old wounds there, James. Um, if you wouldn't mind uploading a few new episodes to the my podcast page, I would be eternally grateful. Please don't Greg me. Cheers, James. <laughs> That's our new catchphrase. We won't Greg you. No. James, we would. Uh, I have emailed James back about this, uh, and we we won't Greg you. We like you, James. I mean, he agreed. I can't even stars. remember. I can't even remember what he did to upset you so much. <laughs> Neither do I. It's become like myth- mythological almost. But uh, <laughs> but no, we won't Greg you because you're not a, you're not a scumbag. Um, <laughs> we, we've we've had a lot of feedback about the TV show things. I mean, we did the Star Trek thing last night, and that was more of a general kind of overview thing. And it, it's difficult because we've got very different tastes in. Um, in TV shows, so I don't. Well, know I mean, that's that. that's not strictly true. There's plenty of TV shows that we've watched in their entirety already that we've both watched, like Babylon Five, like all the Star Trek series, like Buffy and Angel, those X Files, all those sort of shows. But it, the stuff that's on at the moment, I a watch a hell of a lot more of it than you do, um, and. I don't know. I, we we tend not to agree on sort of. Well, I'm more into TV. the kind of HBO sort of shows like um, Six Feet Under and, and Deadwood and like Carnival. And oh, Kirby you see, I watch Carnival and True Blood. Um, Curb Enthusiasm just is a bit too much. I think once I'd seen the first couple of seasons, it's it's. It's just all the same. I mean, I think the suggestion that James makes that I think is probably the most workable is that he says that we could do an episode per season and just do a kind of overview of it as opposed to a kind of going into the minutiae and breaking it down. But uh, I mean, That would take you guys fucking forever. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we did we did two hours on Demon Night, for Christ's sake. How, no, that's how are we... true. <laughs> we did two and a half hours on uh, Demon Night. Uh, how are um, we going to, like, cover a season of a TV show? Yeah, no, I, I don't think... I don't think... I, t- I don't... You just couldn't... You couldn't... It'd be, it'd be hours and hours and hours, man. Okay, well... It, we'd actually have to do work. We'd actually have to have, like, proper notes and... No, that's a shit it, idea. So I, think what, I think what we need to do is... We need to get some sort of poll going, I think. And then just do it by that. I mean, a few people have said they want us to do Twin Peaks. I think maybe that's that's the one that we've had the most feedback on. And on a purely selfish level, I wouldn't have to do any research. But, uh, but thank you very much, James. And... Um, it sounds like um, you've been feeding back to Cinerama as well, so that's always excellent. Yeah, man. And we've got uh, an email from Chalupa, who is the co-host of the Lebowski podcast. And uh, this is in response to a couple of questions we threw out in the South Park episode. Uh, and we're asking about what the, the, the background was for Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And uh, his email consists of, I'm pretty sure Matt and Trey grew up Mormon. As far as Brian Botuano goes, he was a Canadian figure skater that used to always win competitions. When he didn't win, he kind of threw a fit. He was definitely a diva with a bad attitude. I always thought it was just a big joke because figure skating isn't exactly a manly sport, yet they always picked the most badass of the figure skating bunch. (laughs) Favourite parts, the mole and calling in Bill Gates about the Star Wars style 3D map not working. This film is extremely quotable in small doses. I wish Towley could have made an appearance. <laughs> I saw this second or third week. It was in the theatres. Extremely hilarious. This is one film I can watch over and over, as well as South Park reruns that air every night on TV. I'm constantly surprised, though, when scenes are edited on network TV. 
I always get confused and realise the scenes must have been edited from Chalupa. Uh, first of all, I just want to throw out that um, in, in this spirit of crossover podcasts, and I'm curious to see what you think about this, Ian, is um, I've, uh, clearly um, Chalupa comes from a uh, Coen Brothers uh, uh, fanboy background. And um, I've invited him over to have a discussion about uh, Barton Fink sometime over the next couple of weeks. Is nice. That, would you be sort of down for a bit of that as well, maybe? Uh, shit, yeah. Do you know, perhaps a five or six person Barton Fink discussion might be in the offing. So thank you very much for all of your information there, Chalupa. So let's take this puppy home. Paul, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about the King of New York. Okay, well, I would like to again thank Ian for joining us for this evening. Yeah, been a right laugh, guys. Nice one. We are on an hour and 40 minutes, and it looks like the recording software's worked, so I think this might actually make it out sometime sort of Tuesday, Wednesday. Feel free to put this out on your feed as well, as always. Yeah, safe man. Cheers. Excellent. Well, have a good time. I'm sure that between now and when I next speak to you, you will have seen another 26 films. <laughs> and um, I'm sure that you and Paul will agree on all of them, and I'll just sit in the corner like a red-headed stepchild. <laughs> <laughs> cranking quietly to myself oh what a lovely image to end this on well I think that uh, to quote Eddie Izzard I always like to leave people on a bit of a huh and I think I did this rather well <laughs>